Welcome to Shireen Conversations. I'm your host, Marjana Paravan. On today's episode, I'm joined by Layla Saborian, a seasoned entrepreneur with over 20 years of experience in product management, partner marketing, digital media, and community development, working for top companies like LVMH, Oracle, eBay, and Yahoo, to name a few. She is currently the founder and CEO of Chef Kuchulu, an educational software platform that encourages interdisciplinary, intercultural learning for children through cooking lessons. She is also a published children's book author, writing books that teach children awareness of their own and other cultures to shape them to become better, compassionate, and emotionally intelligent human beings. Her mission is very obvious. She hopes to educate, enlighten, and inspire others to be their very best and make a positive difference in the world. Hi, Leila June. Thank you so much for joining me today on Shading Conversations. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you. How are you? Great. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you. I know that there's a huge time difference right now where we are. So I really appreciate you. And I want to make sure that, you know, you end this conversation and end your night very peacefully, but I am so excited to get to speak to you. I know that offline, I mentioned to you how, you know, learning a little bit more about you, I was so impressed with your backgrounds. Um, I mean, not just educationally, you know, your career in itself. Um, I know just to speak a little bit about your education, I know that you've attended so many prestigious schools. I couldn't even keep up with how many schools you've attended and how much certificates and, um, you know, degrees you have. But I know that one pivotal thing is you graduated with honors and then you um, in master's in international relations. And you also, with a focus on marketing. So you actually sat, sat in different facets of marketing in a time when marketing, I feel like was a newer word. Many people didn't use marketing as an actual word or to define what that, you know, what it was. I know that firsthand because that's what I do outside of shooting conversations. But I know you studied in Europe and then you came and got your MBA in business from Babson College in Boston, where you actually held, you're one of the recipients of um, uh, uh, Goldman uh, Scholarship. Is that correct? Um, well, first of all, thank you so much. No, I don't. I didn't go to so many prestigious schools. <laughs> no, you did. <laughs> Average schools. But uh, no, I have a master's in international relations from the University of Westminster in the United Kingdom. And I did the Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs has a program at Babson um, that's kind of like a mini accelerated MBA for top 10 um businesses in the um, not yes. top five top 10, 000, uh, right? uh, businesses in the u.s it's called the ten thousand um business program at goldman yes Academy. you're, yes. you're correct I, yeah okay so i did that yes mm-hmm. well i was selected one of those companies to be doing that yes you're being very modest but i think that in, in itself is incredible mm-hmm. got into these areas and degrees in a time when it was re- very relevant at a time international relations is something that you know was huge and marketing was very new like that was something again we didn't really understand and so to say that you're ambitious is an understatement i know that you know hearing your people talk about it it's gets you a little, you know, humbles you a little, but can you share with us a bit about what led you down your path educationally? What led me down my path? I, um, well, I, um, came to the United States, you know, I, I, hmm, how do I say this? Okay. So my mother left me when I was four years old and my father died when I was fairly young. So, and I grew up with my grandmother a lot and, um, and my grandmother didn't have a chance to go to school. Her father kind of married her off after her mother died. And that was the biggest sad 
uh, sad kind of tragedy in her life because she was a true intellectual. She was more educated than most people I know. She, you know, taught herself how to read and she was a scholar and she, you know, and for her, like education was the way to um, help women become equal to men. And she was kind of the very first feminist I met in my life. So for her, education was everything. And um, since I was a child, she kept reminding me how lucky I was to, you know, what a great opportunity was to go to school um, and how lucky I was. And in a way, she also like didn't like me to learn how to cook or to clean. She just wanted me to focus on school. Um, and when, you know, the other thing that I was constantly told as a child, I think most Iranians value education, right? Every Iranian family values that. But in my case, particularly, they're like, this is your only chance. You don't have parents to fall back on. You don't have anybody who left you any money. Like your only way out of um, um, your kind of difficult situation is to be educated and get the education to help you survive. Um, but, you know, of course, most Iranians want you to be a doctor, engineer, right? Yes. <laughs> and I, I just didn't like those topics. Um, I like literature, which I think I took after my grandmother for that sake. But when I wanted to study literature, I did realize their point that, um, okay, not having parents, I wasn't going to be able to survive um, with a degree in literature. I wasn't going to be able to get a job. Um, but so I kind of um, double majored. I took uh, French and international relations, and I've always had a love for different cultures, for being inclusive, for understanding diverse viewpoints. So that's why that major really appealed to me. And I did them both. But then I couldn't really graduate. Uh, when I graduated, I couldn't really find a job in international relations, because most of those jobs are either in New York or Geneva. And, um, you know, I moved to Silicon Valley. And there I ended up working in fashion. Um, and then uh, I, I, you know, I worked for a few years and saved money to go back to school. And this time I was like, okay, I'm going to get a master's in international relations and that will get me the job I want. And so after I got my master's, I, um, I did work at UNESCO uh, as an intern and I was a bit disappointed with how little impact I could make. And that's when I joined uh, the private sector instead. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, seeing that firsthand, you know, a lot of people, like you said, culturally, what it might be in old school, like very much we had a path. These are the top three, you know, where you go to school and then what you become, no matter if you're a female, male, but I mean, during the times and, um, but seeing it firsthand and, you know, being someone like you, you're, you know, you had to grow up pretty quickly and to see it firsthand, you understand that this is what impact can I make? And that makes a lot of sense looking at your resume, you know, like you said, you got into fashion. So I know that during your studies and you went back and forth, um, you worked at some really notable companies like LVMH, eBay, Oracle, Yahoo, studying, in, you know, international marketing and social media strategy, which again, was so brand new at a time at that time. So you kind of answered it in the last part, you know, um, how you, you know, saw it firsthand and it, you know, you wanted to see what impact you can make, but how hard was it for you as a female, especially in Silicon Valley and where you, where you've been, and where you've lived to get into your specific uh, career fields? 
Um, sure. I, I feel that it was pretty hard. And I think one of the hardest thing is that people don't give us credit like anytime. Um, like I've had so many good male friends or cousins. My own cousin is a very successful entrepreneur. Every time I ask him for his help, introducing me to the investors, for instance, who invested in his startup, he would say, no, you know, everything is equal. If you, you know, why don't you go pitch? There is no difference. They don't care if you're a man and a, uh, or a woman. But the numbers really speak differently and the experience was differently. And what that kind of behavior did was always like, okay, yeah, they're right. I must be the problem here. They're right. Like people don't care if you're a a male or a female. If I'm not raising money, it's because I'm not a good entrepreneur. Or if I'm not succeeding, it's because I'm, you know, I'm not good. And so, uh, but, but the whole movement of 2017 really opened up my eyes and I was like, oh, maybe it's not me, you know, maybe. Uh, and these, and then as other women started talking about, it, I was like, my God, these experiences um, are real. Like I, I was being prejudiced against or, um, you know, um, I mean, there's like def- um, definitely incidents that happened that made, made it very hard. Um, but we obviously have it better than in many other countries. But now that I'm living in Belgium, I see the difference. And to be honest, I feel like Silicon Valley is a very harsh place. It's not as equal as Belgium uh, is. I don't feel as equal as a woman because uh, just the way the society is set up, even socially speaking, right? Like it's so difficult to find a a good uh, nanny in the Bay Area. It's so expensive. So most women on my blog, I mean, we had so many PhDs and postdocs from from Stanford, Berkeley, who were now becoming housewives because they just couldn't find the ideal nanny and they couldn't afford it. Their salary was a lot <laughs> less than yeah. um, you know what they could afford a full-time nanny for. So these experiences are real. Okay, I have to say my answers are not good. I, no, you know, are you kidding me? This is amazing. This is actually so insightful. Of course, I, I love. I mean, this is this is real life. No, it shows as females the impact that you know you know, you see it firsthand when you're working in these areas, living in those specific areas and working in this industry, you see it. And I think that is something that you speak volumes on. I mean, you, you know, it took you to a place that you created. You not only are the founder, but you're the CEO of Chef Kuchulu, which I'm so excited to talk about because I think exactly what you said, it led to it because from your career, you started sitting on, you know, different boards and became advisors on a lot of women founded startups. And I think that in itself, what you're saying, you know, these females are educated, they have the ideas, but sometimes they don't have the funding. They don't have any of these things. So being able to not only have seen it with your Mm -hmm. eyes personally, but around your community and being able to sit on these boards and make that impact going back to your first part of your answer is huge. And with Chef Kuchulu, I think that is something that is so you know, you created this in a time, a platform that, you know, children have always been, I feel like the industries, when think, people think of children, they think of clothes, what kind of clothes or toys do we create? But platforms that are actually stimulating their brain and creating them to become the humans that they're going to be in their futures is huge. And I know for those that don't know, Kuchulu means small. So like Chef Kuchulu is just a, such a cute name. So it's a it's an educational software platform that helps children through cooking skills. Can you share with us a little bit about it? 
Sure, definitely. So, um, yes, um, Chef Kuchu idea began actually when my daughter started attending kindergarten. And, um, you know, I was cooking her Persian food a lot of times, like gorma sabzi and things that she loved. And she would take it to school. And of course, other kids would make fun of her because it just looked so different than what they were eating. And they were eating pizza and chicken nuggets and um, hot dogs, which are kind of like the staple of the American child's food. And um, so at some point she came and she asked me, mom, is it okay if I, um, if you give me lunch money and I can buy my lunch instead of taking this lunch? And I said, sure, honey, um, I, I'll be happy to do that. But, but you love Hormuz Sabzi, so can I ask why? And when she told me the reason, I said, you know what, I'm going to tell you the story. And then after that, you decide the choice is yours. Here's the money. Um, and you can decide. So I told, I kind of sat her through and described how hot dogs were made. And then I also explained, you know, the story behind Gorma Sabzi, like, our, uh, um, you know, how my grandmother was the best uh, chef that I knew that made Gorma Sabzi, but how everybody in our family had a different touch for it and how like uh, some people, you know, use white beans, some people red beans, you can add your own signature to it. And uh, once I told her the stories, she was like, you know what, I don't ever want to eat a hot dog again. <laughs> And she be, she became an advocate for healthy eating back at her school. Wow. Yeah. And her school asked me if I could go and kind of give the same talk. And at that time, I was working full time uh, as a marketer for SAP. And uh, I had a really busy schedule, but they kept asking me to go back. And at some point, other schools started reaching out and said, hey, we really need this curriculum too. And I had systematically created a curriculum that we were duplicating and teaching in various schools. So I decided to take it to the next level because I realized that the U.S. in particular really needed this education. And I also noticed that a lot of the ignorance in the, you know, um, I'm sure as an Iran, well, you live in L.A., so maybe you but didn't it, have questions. <laughs> but we still had it. It is true. You're right. Your okay. daughter's story is exactly what I remember as well. Okay. Um, but I, I, when I first came to the States, you know, I went to North Carolina to study and I just remembered, you know, like 21 year old college educated kids from prominent families. A lot of them were coming from New England area were asking me things like, you know, oh, so did you ride a camel to school or do you have cars in Iran? And, you know, and I was like, how can it be possible that at age 21, these people have these questions, you know, um, and, and yet everybody in the world comes to America to go to university. We think they have the best education. So what, so where is the disconnect, you know? And, um, so then, uh, you know, but then when I got to know those type of people, I noticed there were really kind people deep down. It was just really a lack of education, lack of, um, I mean, it was really ignorance. And um, I, I was like, you know, if you, but all of those people who were, um, you know, when I would cook Iranian food for them, they would love it and they would want to come back and eat it. So I was like, well, it's not that they're really prejudiced. It's just that they're ignorant. They haven't been taught better. So I was like, we need to have this education from an early age. Um, you know, and, and that's kind of the idea of Chef Kuchulu is to teach, we, uh, you know, each lesson teaches kids about a new country. And then we bring in 
uh, also add, we add math and science concepts to it because there's a lot of um, science and math involved in cooking. And we make the child fall in love with the culture and the recipe that they're making. And um, so, you know, and I, I still remember this. I think we even have this on video, like one classroom we went into and I asked the kids, these were third graders. I said, hey, guys, when you, you know, when you hear the word Iran, what do you think of? So, you know, the first child says terrorists, the second child said bombs, the third child said bad people. <laughs> and um, and I was like, OK, so I didn't um, you know, I didn't comment. I didn't contradict. So I said, today we're going to make stuffed grape leaves. We make dolma with them. And, uh, you know, we had them touch all the spices. And I had an experienced Persian chef that day, too, who, who's cooking, you know, was so amazing. Moji June was her name. So after the class, right before they were going home, I said, so, guys, when you think of Iran, what do you think you're going to remember next? And then, you know, right away, one kid was like, oh, this delicious smell the most delicious smell I ever had. And then another, another kid was like eating leaves. Wow, so much fun, you know. <laughs> and so I really felt, OK, I'm accomplishing what the idea behind this platform was. Um, so that's kind of the power of it. It's so true. I mean, you, you said it so perfectly 21 or not like above the, it's the ignorance. It's the lack of, you know, it's the superiority sometimes of what people believe. And, um, you know, if we want to sit them down and teach them how America was founded, there's different stories, you know, it's not, you know, how they interpret it, but you absolutely right. Exactly. When you said these specific moments of what people said to you, I got flooded in my head at, you know, late twenties of what people that like ex-boyfriends, parents, what they would say to me and things. And it's just like, you, this is why, you know, education, like Chef Kuchulu, my podcast, these are things that I want to do. And I know that's a part of your, what flows in your blood is to cut the ignorance out. And I think it, it, the way that you taught them is beautiful. You don't sit there and you say, absolutely not. We're not terrorists and absolutely not, but you create an experience for them because we know as Iranians, we're so immersed with our food. Our food is our stories, all of those. So creating those experiences for them is such a beautiful way to end it. And then they go home believing something completely different about a country that they were so, you know, close-minded to. So I would rather be an Iranian that eats leaves than a terrorist. So I love that you did that. And it's not just us. I mean, it's easy for us because, you know, to think about it as Iranians, but it's the same thing like when, um, for Mexicans, right. Um, when I started, um, teaching, um, the chef Cuchulu concept, the first school we started at was, a. um, economically disadvantaged schools where most of the parents were immigrants from Mexico or El Salvador who did, who barely spoke English, if any. And all the kids were like, no, we're Americans. We don't speak Spanish uh, because they were so ashamed and so scared of how they'd been treated. And that, you know, at seven years old. And so once we went in and we made a Mexican dish and I remember the first thing that I taught him, I was like, hey, you know, did you know that chocolate was first discovered in Mexico? And then all these Mexican kids eyes, you know, just sparked sparkled and the the class and then by the end of the class they all wanted to speak Spanish and they wanted to show their classmates their Mexicanness which by then they were like no we're Americans and then all of a sudden they felt comfortable to to share more of their culture and talking about you know their cousins who still lived in Mexico or you know picking up the chocolate plants so it's not just our culture unfortunately like there is a lot of ignorance all about <laughs> the, absolutely the, 
Absolutely. And I think what this past few years has taught us, especially in the time of pandemic and COVID, you know, we saw the ugliness of a lot of people with their like thinking internally and didn't really have externally say. Now we have a world of social media, keyboard warriors who feel so comfortable pointing the finger at people and blaming them based on their culture. And I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head. So exactly. And I think that makes a lot of sense and pivoting a little bit towards your now where you are. I know you have a series of published children's books. So this absolutely makes sense. You know, your personal experiences, um, whether it's going to these classrooms and speaking to these children and your own personal experience. I know, you know, growing up, um, you know, losing your, you know, your mother and your father at such a, such a young age and being raised by your grandmother, you created these books that are not only bilingual, but they're trilingual as well. So that you're helping um, these children cope with different issues. I know generational trauma is one of them, losing a grandparent, um, the pandemic in itself. I know one of your books, your books can be found on Amazon. I know one of them is saying goodbye to Madar. And that's, you know, I wish I was a child that had that, you know, someone who just in my thirties just lost my grandmother, who this podcast is named after. I wish a book like that existed for me at a time, you know, because it is, it is a very hard traumatic experience and loss is loss, you know, in different parts and these issues that they're dealing with. So these books that you created, I know most likely have been influenced from your experiences, but what are your hopes for these children who are not only reading them, but are being read these books to learn from? Yes, I'm. Um, my hope for them is to feel accepted and loved and to know that they're not alone, because a lot of times these experiences um, feel so isolating. We think, oh, my God, I'm the only one who's going through this because I'm the one who's different. So it's just to to show them that you're not alone, that even the happiest person in school is probably going through some tough periods or some experiences. And then also to help show them different perspectives, because, you know, when we were children, like growing up in Iran, okay, in a way, it was comforting to have such a strong religion in place, right? Because it, like when you were saying, okay, somebody died and what happened to them, there's no questioning of what happened to them. They go to heaven or they go to hell and like everything was laid out. But in this generation, we don't want to raise our children with, with a blind eye. I feel like you, you we, we want to be as honest as we can with our children. And the truth is for me, for instance, I'm really not sure what happens after we die. So I try to portray a more true or authentic um, story that I can share with my daughter and let her make up her mind, you know, on what happens uh, in the afterlife instead of just be telling her what I've been told, which I'm not certain whether it's true or not. Yeah. And that's true. I mean, like you said, I mean, that's one and like the pandemic in itself for children having to pivot to classroom environments that are from home, no longer with their friends, kids, babies that are being born during the pandemic and never have seen the outside world because they've been inside their homes. These are such important books for them because, you know, it's just opening their eyes to, you know, yes, you're not the only one. There's so many others that are going and dealing with this, but how do you kind of like live your life down this path in a way that you know that you can be guided. And I think that's such a beautiful thing to do. And I know you, those are just a few of the books that you have. You have so many more, but I think this is such a beautiful thing to, you know, build from the experiences of yourself and what you've seen. And also, like you said, for something, you're seeing it through your daughter's eyes. You want her to be able to be open-minded and educated in a way that she can share with her friends. So that's, that's beautiful. Of course. Before we, you know, and like I said, you have such a diverse background, whether it's educational, your career, what you've created, what's next for you? 
Um, yes, I think I would like to grow Chef Kuchulu into, well, we just formed a new company that's called Kuchulu instead of Chef Love Kuchulu. It. So putting the food as one channel and growing into different Smart. departments, categories of what we could do. So definitely content is um, an area where we feel there is a lack of. So um, our next push is to focus on creating more diverse and inclusive content in various languages. Um, we also want to um, create maybe a bookstore that has these type of books um, on display and creating a space where people can come and discuss conflict or the differences of culture. And like I said, it's not so unique to Iranians or, or life in America, right? Here in Belgium, we live in a small country with three different communities. You know, they have uh, Fr um, Flemish speakers, French speakers, and German speakers. And oftentimes they live 10 minutes away from each other, but they they never mix almost. Um, and sometimes, you know, they have to speak English in between them, even though they're from the same country. So my, my goal and dream is to have these kind of safe spaces where you can come and talk about these topics without feeling like you're being attacked. So that's one idea we, we want to take um, uh, Chef Kuchulu to the next level, maybe create middle school content for it. Right now we're focused on elementary school and um, um, and maybe a clothing line. <laughs> so I love it. I am so excited for everything that you're doing. And even though I'm not Kuchulu in air quotes, I'm, <laughs> I'm just as excited to see what you put out and be, uh, you know, a consumer of what you're doing. So Leila June, before we close it out, I know your books can be found on Amazon. Um, is there anything that you'd like to leave my listeners off with? Um, I feel like, yes, um, they should be more vocal about things that are not uh, going right um, in their communities or even they themselves are experiencing because for many years, I just kind of put put up with things because we're like, you don't want to be a problem. You want to, you know, I think growing up in Iran and then coming here as an immigrant, you just kind of want to be uh, off the radar. You want to keep a low profile, just do your thing, make it your goal. But when we don't stand up for these things, um, we're really doing a disservice to other women. And I, um, and I finally realized that, um, you know, I mean, once I got my courage, but uh, in just little things, like for instance, um, I got accepted into an accelerator in Switzerland and um, they were like, you know, boasting, oh yeah, we have 50% women participate, blah, blah, blah. And we're, so, we're all about diversity and we're so happy. And then when um, they, they, they prepared housing for you, so when the housing options came, I was like, well, I have two children, so I would like a housing where I could bring my kids. And the kind of the leader of the organization wrote back, he's like, sorry, that's just something we don't do. You know, like it's a program for entrepreneurs. And I said, well, okay, then you should say that this is a program for young male entrepreneurs with no families or responsibilities. He's like, no, we value diversity. I'm like, well, do you? Because uh, <laughs> what am I? So what are, what are moms who are entrepreneurs supposed to do for three months? Like, where am I supposed to leave my kids? Um, so when I said that he, um, you know, he was like, well, no, it's just because you didn't disclose it in the beginning, blah, 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 you know, uh, but I basically called him on it. And then the next day 
he called me in and he apologized. He said, you know, you opened my eyes um, for the first time to this because I up to now I thought we were being fair just because we had 50% women. I was like, yeah, having 50% women, but not accommodating uh, for their needs. Like I was asking, well, is there like a daycare nearby? Is there, you know, any summer camp programs, but just a little something. And, you know, and even though um, maybe their program is not, you know, doesn't have the budget to provide it, it doesn't take much from one of their administrators to put together a list of summer camps, yes. right? Like one hour of time, say, you know what, um, there's some programs happening for kids if you want to enroll them. And so if you're really talking about being open and equal, then you need to take that extra one hour and send us the list. <laughs> so I absolutely I, agree. Yeah. I mean, I could have Googled the list myself, but, but it's, it's about, standing up and we we just have to do it more often and and it goes both ways like in the iranian community we're not perfect either you know i i don't like people who constantly like put ourselves up in pedestals or like oh we're so great you know everything is against us but we are wonderful we're not wonderful so the our country the people who are running it whom many of us don't approve of they're iranians too right so it's not yeah. that all iranians are wonderful or when i you know when i adopted my black daughter um a lot of iranians just said horrible comments to me out of like out of the goodness of their heart not noticing you know i got things like oh don't worry she doesn't even look black it's like well if i was worried i wouldn't have a do- <laughs> or yeah. you know kind of expressing pity for me that i had to or you know that i had to adopt a black child or saying things like you know oh your husband and you are so good looking like why why did you go and get a black child so these kind of comments that you know yes. It goes both ends. Like we cannot, we cannot expect others to be inclusive of us if we're not going to change our own behavior and authority as well. I agree a hundred percent. And that's the thing that I, that I love that you ended the conversation in that way, because we always say, you know, the power of your voice, the power of voting, one voice, one vote matters, one voice counts, all of this. You're absolutely right. I mean, for the first female to, you know, And, you know, to stand up for herself, like Rosa Parks on a bus to say, I'm sitting here that rippled through our, you know, our society, our life. So one voice, use your voice. That's, you know, you have it, use it. You can make a difference. It might not make that impact for you in that immediate moment, but it'll make an impact for the future and the generations to come. And like you said, I think that people find that being diverse is one-sided. They see one thing, they're like female, male, we're being diverse because we have an equal, like base Mm -hmm. or like campus full of this, but no, there's diversity in different forms. So I'm so proud of you for not only speaking up your voice and making someone apologize for not seeing in that way, but also for saying this because, you know, using your voice is so powerful. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Of course. Leila June, I am so honored to have had you on my show. Thank you so much for everything that you're doing and everything you continue to do. And I cannot wait for my listeners to, you know, buy your books for their children, their friends' children, and, you know, to follow along on your journey. Thank you so much. And thank you for doing what you're doing. This is an amazing podcast. So thank you and have a wonderful day. Thank you. For more inspiring interviews, head on over to shittingconversations.com. If you like today's show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review and follow on Instagram, 
Facebook, and Twitter at Shading Conversations. You can also watch episodes on YouTube. I'm Majina Paravon, and you've been listening to Shading Conversations. Thank you.